0: It's been such a joy to, to be with you here again at uh, the Cripplegate Conference and with the church family here at IBC. We, we love this church, uh, Cornerstone Church in Jackson, Wyoming. We're so grateful for your pastor, for your leadership, and for all of you here uh, at this church. It's a, a pleasure for us. We, we come often. Uh, getting to know some of you, fam- faces becoming more familiar, so it's really a privilege for us to be here. For our study this evening, which you, if you'd grab your Bible and turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, I have been tasked with talking about a, a warning against legalism. A warning against legalism, Galatians chapter 1. This afternoon, uh, I was over in Baltimore, I had the privilege of preaching at George Lawson's church, who I think is what we heard from this morning. And, and on the way back, uh, Adam, Adam Howard, who's here, one of our elders in training from Cornerstone Church in Jackson, uh, we stopped and, and saw some of the monuments, some of the war monuments around here, which is really a, a joy, a sobering a joy to, to see these and to remember, as well as celebrating the 75th anniversary of D Day. Uh, this past week, June 6th, of course, and as, as we think about World War II, there was a situation where during the war, the Nazis sought out Jewish individuals from a particular concentration camp just prior to World War II. This was at the, what was called the Sachsenhausen. Say that three times fast. Sachsenhausen concentration camp. And the Nazis combed the camp and, and searched through the concentration camp and, and said, which, are, which of you are artists? All the artists, you, you need to come with us. And they forced... Some of the Jewish individuals there whom they had gathered up, these artists, to forge British pounds and American dollars to create counterfeit money, in other words. And what was interesting is the counterfeiting of those pounds and the dollars they were forced to do, it was really, for that time, an incredible quality. Very, very close to the real thing. Almost, historians say it was almost impossible to distinguish these British pounds and the American dollars from the real thing. Now, of course, the the Germans, thankfully, could not put their plan into action and spend the money. They were forced to dump the counterfeit bills into a lake, and most of those bills were not discovered until later in the 1950s. But counterfeiting money has been a practice of the ages. I have, I have friends back home in Wyoming who are in, in the banking industry, and, and they talk about often how counterfeit bills are coming into their hands. And, and tellers get rewards if they, if they spot and stop a counterfeit bill. The thing is, there's an interesting thing with counterfeit money. No matter how close it looks, all of the markings, all of the the printing, the art, the color, even if it is 99.9% close to the real thing, how much is it worth? Zero, (laughs) void. You take a, a counterfeit one hundred dollar bill, you know, with with Benjamin Franklin's face on it and it's hair combed nicely, all the intricate art on the front and the back. You know, ninety nine point nine two percent close. If you if you take that to the bank and they catch you, you're you're going to go to jail. But if you were to try to spend that, how much is it worth? Zero. It's not like, well, it's, you know, it's 98% close, so it's worth $98. Or it's 50% there, so it's worth $50. No, you, you go to jail, it's not worth a dime. And this is something of what we see in the Apostle Paul's warning when it comes to legalism and false gospels. They might be close. As, as we'll see in this particular situation, there was a sense in which from, you know, from a distance, a superficial look, the gospel that Paul is condemning looks somewhat close from afar. If it's just passing through. But it is not savable. And an 80% gospel, 90% close, 92% there, it is 0% savable. In the immediate context here, in Galatians, Paul's warning again is it, it is it is very strong and it is against this, this gospel, so called, we'll put that in quotes, that veers towards legalism, and is legalism. And so the warning would not only apply to legalism, but any gospel which differs from that of Scripture. So with that, follow along as I read Galatians 1. Just to get a little bit of momentum and context, I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, and I'll read through verse 9. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. The inerrant infallible Word of God reads, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Sobering words Again, from the apostle of grace, the Apostle Paul. A little reminder of what's happening here in the context. It's about mid-late 40s A.D., Paul and, and his team they go through the Galatian region, what is now Central Turkey, plant churches through the preaching of the gospel of grace. Many individuals come to faith in Christ, they suffer some near-death experiences. And shortly after after that, after Paul plants the churches and strengthens them and raises up leaders, he leaves and then he gets word of something very disturbing, which we just read in these verses here. So he writes, though though there is some aggression here, it is holy aggression. Paul writes out of a deep sense of love for the Lord, love for souls. A concern for their eternity, and a concern for that which is most important, and that is their standing before God, and that which and he whom accomplishes that right standing, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's really one big issue here. How can humanity, imperfect, flawed, sinful, have right standing before a perfect flawless and a holy God, and that is being distorted. In the Galatian region, there is, after Paul leaves, and it's like you pull a rock out of a river and, you know, water quickly replaces the rock, just, just like that, these false teachers came in, sometimes called Judaizers who are adding something to the gospel and therefore not improving it, but diluting and distorting it. They probably claim to be Christians, but as we're going to see, their message was dangerous. It was legalistic. and It was a false gospel. And for that, Paul is exercised. He's going to say, even though it's kind of close... It's not going to kind of save. It will not save at all. His, his sort of big idea, big picture message, is that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, and any deviation from the gospel of grace is to desert God and to be cursed. So, there's three, three points I want us to see here. Number one is this, all having to do with the purity of the gospel. Number one, adding works to the gospel is to defect from God. We'll see this in verse six. Adding works to the gospel is to defect from God. It is to defect from God. This book, this particular section of Scripture is such a gift for us. The gospel is and has throughout history come under attack and threats. We must always remember what the gospel is, the purity of the gospel, the importance of its purity, because adding works to the gospel is to defect from God. These verses here six through nine, really, they, they will reveal the problem in the churches, which is going to be addressed by the majority of the letter of the Galatians. Now, typically, the apostle, you know, in books like Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians, he opens his letters with, you know, several verses of encouragement, so thankful to God for you and how you're doing in your faith. And there's nothing like that in this opening. He is, in a holy way, incensed because of the issue at hand. And so there is a sense in which we must share Paul's passion about the purity of the gospel of our blessed Lord Jesus. Look at verse 6. Look how he starts the letter, the main body of the letter. Verse 6, I am amazed. I'm amazed, the Greek word, it's it's an emphatic expression of shock or astonishment. And here it is used very much in the negative. I'm speechless. This cannot be happening is the idea. Paul uses this expression only one other time in his epistles when he is referring to the return of Christ that we're going to be amazed. And yes, we will but this is a different type of amazement one of the godliest men of the faith shocked you know when he's when Paul is beaten for the faith and and persecuted he doesn't he doesn't even use this word what are you amazed at, Paul? Look back at verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Now, notice at first, you are deserting Him who calls you. This deserting, the word has the idea of changing sides, of defection, like the serious act that the word was used to describe a traitor in a military in a national context. A very serious thing. Something has happened in these Galatian churches. They're defecting from God. And it happened quickly. I mean, this is, there's about a year from when, when Paul was there to when he writes this letter. And isn't that a reminder of as, as church members and as church leaders, that if we're not careful to teach sound doctrine and to shepherd the flock, that false things can come in quickly. But they have deserted Him, Him who called you by the grace of Christ. This is a reminder. Paul right away wants them to remember the grace of God, the grace of Christ, Him who called you. That, that, that's a term referring to Grace. God is the one who called them, who brought them into the faith. And he's saying that in part because they are starting to veer towards a gospel that starts to dilute and diminish what God has done and focusing on what man is to do and what man is to supposedly do for salvation, which, of course, is a false gospel. Four times in just six verses. Several times he's using this word grace to emphasize what God has done, because as Paul said in Romans 11:6, 6, if works are added to the gospel, then grace is no longer grace. Romans 11:6. 6, and let us be reminded of the gospel of grace, that we have a, a backdrop. Sometimes it's said in studying and preparing for counterfeit bills, people study the real thing. To be able to recognize any type of deviation, reminder of the gospel. Good news that starts with the truth that God is a God, as we've been studying at the conference throughout the weekend, that God is a God of towering holiness. Otherness, separateness in all His ways. There is no one holy like the Lord for Samuel 2.2. And so, that is His requirement The law is a reflection of the beauty and the loftiness of His holiness. We must be as holy as God is, Matthew 5, 48, in every way. Our our thoughts must perfectly conform to the holiness of God. Our motivations for why we do what we do all the time what we do must perfectly conform to the holiness of God. Our words, our actions, even our nature must perfectly and flawlessly match God's own holiness. We must honor God as much as He deserves, love God as much as He deserves, revere God as much as He deserves. And so it's it's been said that it would be easier to climb to the moon on a rope of sand than to, by our works, earn our way into heaven and merit righteousness before this holy God. Galatians 3.10, Paul later will write, as many as are of the works of the law. You want to depend on works to get to heaven? As many as are of the works of the law are under a curse because it's written. Your it refers back to Mosaic law from which, from which they're pulling in Galatia for right standing with God. You want to do that, he says? Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. In other words, you have to do all 600 plus of these things, however many laws there were, and be perfectly conformed to the holiness of God in your own nature. So the psalmist rightly says in Psalm 130, Oh Lord, if you should mark iniquities, Oh Lord, who could stand? Psalm 130, who could stand? And then I like verse 4. But... There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. How can there be forgiveness from, I mean, our, our incessant violation of the perfection of God's holiness? Later again in Galatians 3, Paul will write Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Forgiveness happens by substitution, which Paul has already mentioned at the outset in Galatians 1, even before verse 6. He'll mention it several times throughout the letter. Substitution of the only one, the incarnate God, God God-man, truly God, truly man. He perfectly in nature, in thought, in motivation, in word, in deed, in action, in everything. The Lord Jesus conformed to the holiness of God the Father. And so therefore, he is qualified and he alone to substitute himself to become the curse for us, we who are under a curse for not having perfectly conformed to God's holiness and God's law. He becomes the substitute. He substitutes himself, motivated by his love for us, motivated by, Uh, By his own mercy and his compassion, and God the Father's plan from all eternity to save a people. And so, that on the basis of substitution of the impeccable God man, that curse is taken from us and put on him, and he is sentenced for our sin that the unrighteous will become righteous. And he died on the cross. And so, in Christ, in His substitution, He substitutes Himself in living this perfectly righteous life on our behalf and dying this horrific death as a wrath-bearing sacrifice for us. And then He rises from the grave, and then by faith alone, not any works, we put our confidence in Jesus, our substitute in Christ our mediator, because there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And salvation is accomplished by works, but not ours, right? We understand that. We add nothing to it, and if we attempt to, we distort it, as Paul is saying here. This is the gospel of grace. That though by our own works, we are infinitely in the red in unrighteousness, we are, not only, we are not only forgiven of that unrighteousness, but we are credited with Christ's righteousness, that by faith alone, we have the very standing and the positional righteousness of Christ before Almighty God, and that is permanent. That will never be undone, never be reversed, never be taken away from us, because as, as it is accomplished by Christ and declared by God the Father in the courtroom of heaven. This is good news. And yet, they are, they are defecting from this good news in Galatia. And so, there is a warning. Paul says, you are deserting him for a different gospel. And so, notice that embracing a different gospel isn't just a difference of fine print. It's not a matter of a little paperwork and paper shuffling. This is deserting God, it says in the text, defecting from God for a different gospel. As we've been mentioning throughout the conference, there are basically just two gospels, right? The gospel of divine accomplishment and the gospel, which is no gospel, of human achievement. And they're, the, the Judaizers and those who are following them in Galatia are saying, oh, we need to add some works. need to add some works here, and this is just unthinkable. It is spiritual suicide. Why would we want to, to veer from the beauty of faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone? Why would we want to do that? Why would they want to do that in Galatia? What an unthinkable thing to do, to add this yoke, as it were. Why would you choose a different gospel And the warning here is to do so is to defect from God. Number two, number two, though appearing similar, all differing gospels are complete distortions. Verse seven, though maybe appearing similar, though maybe appearing similar, all differing gospels are complete distortions verse 7. All differing Gospels are complete distortions. Therefore, they are, not, they are not Gospels. Paul will now elaborate on what he said in verse 6. Look at verse 7, which is really this different, referring to the different gospel, which is really not another. There are different Gospels subjectively. There are different ways in which people suppose they'll get to heaven, some kind of close to the real thing, mentioning Christ, and 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 that's what's happening here in Galatia. You see, this different gospel that Paul is speaking to in the context that the Judaizers brought, they did say, "Oh, of, of course, of course believe in this Jesus. Yes, put your trust in this Christ. But there's a couple other things from the Mosaic law we need to make sure that we're in step with if we're going to be justified. If we're going to have right standing before God, one of them being circumcision. So, is Christ plus a couple things. And therefore, he says in verse 7, it's, it's not a gospel. It is really not another. Objectively, there are no other gospels. There is only the gospel of the Bible. He says, which is really not another, back in verse 7, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Again, these who are disturbing them, the Judaizers disturb. They're, they're destabilizing them completely from the most important thing, faith in Christ. They probably didn't realize how destabilized they were. They're distorting the gospel. Distort has the idea of a, it's a, it's a strong contrast or a radical change. And again, these aren't, these Judaizers aren't some, you know, polytheistic rank Roman pagans coming in with, you know, with, with little statues and saying, you know, worship, worship all, these, all these gods and Jupiter and Hermes and all these other things. They're not saying that at all. They are saying, yes, Christ. So it looks close. Christ is death on the cross and. And notice that, Paul, God does not say through the, through the pen of Paul, He doesn't say, well, at least you believe in Christ. At least you say you trust Jesus. Okay, you have 80% of it. You have 90% of it. There's no sort of comfort. There's no sort of safety net given here for Christ and and Jesus plus. Again, like counterfeit money. 88% close is 100% condemned 0% saving no power to put us in right standing with God though though appearing similar all differing gospels are complete distortions why now why is it Let's just ask pause briefly for a moment why is it what what is it with human nature that Frankly, I mean, we we have plenty of evidence around us, people we know and love even, that that people gravitate towards different Gospels, especially in the context here, a Gospel with some works in it. What is it that draws us towards that? I, I, I think at least one thing is human pride, isn't it? Pride is the sinfulness of sin, the mother of sin. The ground from which all sin sprouts pride, a a craving to have a little bit of glory, a little bit of spiritual fame, a little bit of contribution to that which is most important, my salvation, that I did something to, yeah, God helped me, but I did something to get myself into God's favor. I meant well. I wasn't that bad of a person. You know, as, as we do some door-to-door now and then and, and do outreach back in northwestern Wyoming up in the Tetons there, we, we hear this often. Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really know why you're saying this because, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty decent person. God will see that I've tried hard and He might forgive a couple things that need to be forgiven, but also see that I added, I, I put something into it. So even in that statement, they're saying, God and and there is this incessant human lust, if we could say, to, to contribute. So God and I are kind of teaming up. And this is part of the reason why you know, God, God humbles us, in humility and humility and really dismantling our pride is essential when, when an individual becomes a Christian. to say, no, it is all God. All Christ all grace, all Jesus, 0% us. It is all God the Father. It is all God the Son. It is all God the Spirit. It is 0% us. Which, of course, coincides with really the theme of the Bible, the glory of God, right? Because if we can contribute anything, even if we can contribute our will in the process, well, then these verses like, you know, Isaiah 42.8, God, where God says, I don't share my glory with another. He should change that verse to say, well, I don't share my glory with others, but I share it a little bit with you in salvation. If we can add a little bit of works, which would be efficacious and meriting righteousness before God, we would have to change those Bible verses. The fact of the matter is, all distortions, no matter how close, are false gospels. We have many of these in our day. It would take us all night to name them. As mentioned, individuals, sort of a moral humanitarian gospel. Yeah, you can believe in God, but I do good works. There are also some closer gospels where individuals suppose that, well, I, you know, I, I walked up an aisle at a camp or at a church, and so based on what I did there, I'm saved. I recited a certain prayer. So that, that, that put me in right favor with God. We have to be careful. Yes, maybe you were converted and made regenerate by the grace of God through the power of the Spirit in that moment, but even then, we can look back on what I did and what I said and how I exerted myself and trust in that for our salvation. We have to be very careful. And there are even more that are blatant, in our day, it's necessary at times, not always, but at times, to mention the error of the Roman Catholic gospel. This is a gospel of Jesus plus works. And the Council of Trent, which is inerrant doctrine in Rome, and says this, if anyone says that after the grace of justification has been received to every penitent sinner. The guilt is remitted and the debt of eternal punishment is blotted out in such a way that there remains not any debt of temporal punishment to be discharged either in this world or in the next in purgatory before the entrance to the kingdom of heaven can be opened to him. Let him be cursed. In other words, if you're saying that by faith alone in Christ alone, there is no condemnation, you don't go to purgatory. There's no more punishment. You go straight to heaven when you die. You are in right standing with God instantly and permanently. If you say that, you're accursed by this Roman doctrine. That is a false gospel. And if Paul were in our day, he would have the same exact words in Galatians 1, 6 through 9 to say about that tragic false system. Romans 5:1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We might think of it this way, if there was a doctor in town practicing and in his, in his practice in a harmful way, it's he would do surgery in a way where he would almost heal somebody and then would let them die on the bed, well, this individual's license would be revoked, they need to be exposed, they need to be prosecuted. Shut down. And matters of the gospel are dealing with something that are way more long standing than our physical existence, aren't they? Eternity, which is, God, which is why God is so loving to give this passage, and which is why the apostle of grace is so fired up here. And so the greatest threat to the gospel we can observe is not those teachings which blatantly reject Christ and his word necessarily. But sometimes the greatest set to the gospel are these things that are like, you know, 80, 85, 90% close. Yes, Jesus. But also this 85% true is 100% destructive and unsaving. Number three. Number three, and finally here. Those who propagate a false gospel are condemned. Those who propagate a false gospel are condemned, verses 8 and 9. They are condemned. Look at verse 8. And then Paul, really, he gives a, a, a powerful sort of nailing this home here. Look at verse 8. He says, but even if we, even if we, referring to himself and himself, And his team, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Any gospel (laughs) that differs. And now Paul is focusing more on the messenger and and less on the message here, The, 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 the mode of delivery. He who delivers it He's really saying that an individual's spiritual, religious credentials, they don't matter if they're distorting the beauty of the gospel of grace by faith alone and Christ alone. And Paul even, to make the point, this is why this is such a powerful point, he throws himself in the mix. Even if I did this, he says, I'm not exempt. It's not going to happen, somewhat hyperbolic, but he rose himself, the apostle, who saw the risen Christ, academic training from the finest school of the first century, ancient East. He's saying, look, this isn't about me ultimately or the messenger, but only the true gospel of grace by faith alone in Christ alone by which humanity must be saved. But then he elevates it to a supernatural being, even if an angel from heaven. It doesn't matter if there's some Supernatural being. Some miracle if that would happen. Some miraculous event happening in front of you that they claim to have been spoken to by God or an angel. If the gospel they teach is off even a bit. Jesus and. Yes, Jesus, but. Yes, Christ, and also. I, I... If someone were to come and say, you know, I have this training, I've ministered here, I've done that, I had a vision from God, if their gospel is slightly off, it is a no gospel and not saving it is a desertion from God. How popular they are, how celebrated, how famous they are, it doesn't matter. Christian bookstores, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters if the gospel is slightly distorted because the message, we understand, is far more important than the messenger. Content of the teaching is more important than credentials of the teacher, ultimately. Popularity is not more important than purity of doctrine. There is one gospel. And so Paul says, look at the end of verse 8. If it is contrary, he is to be accursed. One of the strongest words to communicate that this individual is condemned. They are, they are not saved. They are, they are under a curse from God. There's no worse place to be than under that last word in your your Bible in verse 8, accursed. It's to abandon God. Accursed, it means devoted to destruction. You never want to be in that category. And God is in effect saying, even though these teachers in Galatia, they might be saying Jesus' name, they might be talking about Christ, Saying, yes, 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 his death. Yes, 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 his resurrection. But because they are adding a couple of other things of works, they are devoted to destruction. And the matter is so urgent. Look at verse 9. He repeats himself. Verse 9, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Again, by way of illustration, imagine a family who is destitute, starving, persecuted, needing medical attention. They have kids. And an individual comes up and says, "Oh, I would love to help you out. I have the means to. I'm going to help you pay your bills and your, your medical bills and help your children. And then imagine he gives them a stack of $100 bills, and they are 98% correct to the real $100 bill. One would not say, well, at least they're 98%. At least he was giving them something that was close. At least he was sort of helping them. We would not say that. We would say, how cruel, that is ruthless. Because close is an entirely worthless thing, and so it is, dear brothers and sisters, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are accursed. A few inches off from the gospel is to be eternity from heaven. This is a strong word for all of those who would, I mean, whether you teach any age group, three-year-olds, 93-year-olds, you teach three people or 30,000 people, a church building, at work, at home. No word is given about the audience or the context. Every, every ounce of attention is given here to the purity of the gospel. And the reason, let's recall this, friends, the reason that we are against false gospels is not necessarily because we're against people or looking to be against any type of group of individuals, it is because we are for, we are for the glory of our blessed Lord Jesus who died for us and rose for us, and we are for people's eternal well-being. And so, therefore, to be consistent with the glory of God and loving for people, we must be against these things. And we will be judged by the gospel we embrace. What great news that we can go home this evening as we prepare for another week and rest our head on the pillow of God's grace and in our hearts of hearts just by faith just remember, thank you Lord Jesus that you did it all, all to him I owe. It's by grace we have been saved through faith and this not of ourselves, it is a gift of God not by works so that nobody can brag about it Though Christ sees our radical imperfections, He sees that we fall short in practice, He sees that even as Christians, even if we've been a Christian for centuries, we rest in the fact that our salvation is not secure because we might be adding enough works on a daily basis and contributing uh, enough effort on a monthly basis but because he has already done all the work. Praise his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you so, so much that you have so loved us, so cared for us, that you have extended a gospel that is not by works. Who could ever know that they have done enough works? How would we ever be assured that we have contributed enough deeds and works to have rights standing before You, Almighty God. And we do, thankfully, we do not need to trust in that, but we trust in Your Son who You provided, what You required, You provided, and the life and the death and the resurrection of Your Son, and it is in Him alone we put our faith. For His glory we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Emmanuel with Pastor Jesse Johnson. You can find more resources like this at ibcva.com. Here is a parting word from Pastor Jesse. If you have any questions about what you heard today, or if you wanna learn more about what it means to follow Christ, please visit our church website, ibcva.com. If you're not a member of a local church and you live in the Washington, D.C. area, we'd love to have you worship with us here at Emmanuel. We're located in Northern Virginia, and for more information about when and where we worship, check out our church website. I hope to personally meet you this Sunday after our service. But no matter where you live, it's our hope that everyone who uses this resource is involved in their own local church. Now, may God bless you this week as you seek Jesus constantly, serve the Lord faithfully, and share the gospel boldly.